0: You're listening to the Apollo's Podcast from the Free Methodist Church at 1208 Greenwood, and yes, I am a robot. If you'd like to get a copy of the PDF handout for this session, please visit www.newfangled.wordpress.com. Once there, search for Apollo's Introduction and History. Now let's listen to real people. To the very first Apollo's class. Thank you. Oh. Thank you. I knew you're gonna do this. All right, let me make something clear. And starting of this off, for Ken's sake, okay. <laughs> Apollo's. There's a passage where it says, "I'm for Paul. I'm for Apollos, I'm for this guy." That's not what this class is about. so You can go around to others, and be like, "We're for the Apollo's class," or anything like that. I don't know don't do that. Yeah. Don't make this seem like it's a... Cult's not the right word. Click? Like it's a click? Cult? Be cult. Okay, cult. Don't make this seem like it's a cult or a click. Uh, I thought this was a cult. This is not a cult. This is not a cult. That's the oh. building next door. Oh. <laughs> no, I was just uh, giving that name because Apollos is a uh, it mentioned in the Bible. Not a whole lot, but he's talked about that he's... Uh, a big, or a mighty man in Scripture, Uh, but he also hung out with the people who did a lot of supernatural-type things like Paul and so... Yeah, Paul. See? Apollos was for Paul, so... So, uh, the whole point is just to focus narrowing kind of on Scripture and and kind of the supernatural and see how they tie together, but... uh, Before we get there, I thought I'd just give somewhat of my background and uh, kind of testimony, because... It really does fit into why I really feel this class is important and why I've wanted to do it for a while. When I grew up, I was in Three Oaks. This is the right way of the hand, right? Thumbs over. Here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Three Oaks is a little, like, village. Didn't have very many people. If you've ever seen Prancer, anyone?
1: Yes. That's the last theater, Yeah,
0: that was filmed in Three Oaks. Shut the front door. Yeah, it's like the only thing we're known for. Front doors already closed. So, yeah, that's what, that's uh, where I grew up, um, got saved when I was young. So young that I don't remember how old I was, but I remember it happening. So it was pretty young. But I remember just coming to my mom, and she was sitting at a, in a chair, and I'm just kind of crying my way through this because I always had like this – Huh? (laughs) I didn't do anything wrong. We were just talking about Jesus, man. (laughs) And I remember just crying because I was—I was was always scared when I was. Well, I still kind of do it sometimes. That I want to make sure that I do the right thing, that I'm 100% in, and that I'm not doubting anything. So that was me when I was trying to talk to my mom about accepting Jesus, and I did. And uh, from that moment on, uh, I guess you can say that that was my moment of salvation. Not quite as awesome. I wasn't doing drugs by the time I was six or whatever. So, Or ever. So. Um, <laughs> except this one time. This one time, I had some cherry cough drops and I didn't know there was actually stuff in them. Like medicine, so I ate like a whole bag. Because they were so nice. good. I was a little loopy at youth group that night. So. No, but I was kind of feeling weird so there you go there's my (laughs) anyways I got baptized sixth grade then we moved to Westland Uh, Three Oaks was very very traditional in it's kind of way it did church it was uh, singing hymns though we did start getting modern enough to sing like shine Jesus shine and shout to the Lord and power of your love and those songs before we moved Um, when I got to Westland though hereish moving across the state um, when I got to Westland, there was actually a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of modern kind of Christianity going around, just, you know, full bands on stage, which is brand new to me, things like that. Uh, it was completely modern. I got addicted to it. And instead of like, like sometimes I go and hang out with my friends, but after church, other times I go to church and hang out there and mess around with the youth group. Kono was my youth pastor, Brian Kono, if you know him, so go and mess everything up with the soundboard and then try to put it back together. And uh, learn guitar, got into music, followed music for a while. Uh, but when I was a little kid, I felt I wanted to be like a pastor for some reason. I don't know why. I mean, most kids. I did want to be a fireman and an astronaut first, but after that, I wanted to be a pastor. My grandpa and my dad... Next best thing. Yeah, next best thing. My grandpa and my dad are both uh, pastors in the Free Methodist denomination, so... Maybe that's where it came from. But either way, I wanted to do that. And uh, But after music kind of came into my life, I started going that way. Uh, then moved around a lot. But pretty much up until I got to Spring Harbor, really didn't experience anything supernatural or charismatic or anything like that. Um, I mean, I guess now that I have seen it, I look back and I see these moments where it was there, you know, hindsight is... Fifty-fifty. Maybe that's not the right. Twenty-twenty. No, that's not right. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Hindsight is something. I'll tell you that. One. Oh. Either way, I look back and I see situations where there's supernatural things going on, or uh, or God was using me in a way, but um, I didn't really know it until I experienced more. Um, and over time in Spring Arbor. Actually, I didn't want to go to college. I wanted to just do music full-time, but I gave up. I mean, I went to college right when everyone else did, uh, but I was still trying to do it. But it takes too much money to do it, so I stopped, Um, (laughs) moved around, somehow ended up back in pastoral ministry where I originally felt uh, uh, a desire to be. And then uh, I followed that for a while. And that was when I started to see things charismatic. Up to this point, the only charismatic thing I had seen... It wasn't even charismatic. It was just the only supernatural thing I had ever really pondered about was a movie called The Exorcism of Emily Rose. I don't know if you ever go to see scary movies or whatever. Either way, I was always told when I was growing up that, like, supernatural things didn't happen anymore, that that was... Uh, that died with the apostles and disciples. I really only ever, yeah, I really only ever asked once and that was the answer I got so I never really asked again. Um, but uh, that that was what was in my mind. But for some reason, the same people who told me that would always freak out whenever people said something about Ouija boards or uh, you know, cult or demonic things. Uh, so all I figured was that demons were still alive and well and doing stuff but God just kind of wasn't doing the same kind of thing. So Exorcism of Emily Rose was the only movie which is, yes, very well Hollywood, um, very well overemphasized in that way, but that was uh, uh, the most I believed in Supernatural um, until I heard about a group that was going on on campus called Consuming Fire, uh, which basically was Uh, One of my friends told me they were casting out demons one night or something. And I'm like, yeah, that stuff happens. (laughs) Because that was still the only thing that I knew. And I was attracted to it, but I was scared of it. Because when you hear about people who hear from God, I'm always afraid, like, if you walk into the room, they're going to turn you and be like, you're doing this, 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 and this wrong. So I was always scared about going to anyone who heard about God because they'd just snap in my face and know everything about me or something. Um, So I I kind of... uh, nervous and stayed away from it, but I also couldn't go even when I wanted to because I had other commitments. Um, But then I took a few classes and a lot of what was taught in those classes talked about these things, and I just had never heard about it until these instances, and I was really attracted to it, really wanted to learn more. I got some books. Uh, The first one I read was just about dreams and how God can use dreams because I knew he had used them in the Bible with Joseph and Daniel, in other ways, but I wanted to learn if that could still be used. so I read that, and then I really did feel like God was giving me dreams, not not like a ton, just a, a few after that. Uh, so I started believing in it, and then we followed it. I got involved with the group, and we did some ministry. The first thing we do is go pray for uh, healing at a school. The Lumen Christi, I think it is. Catholics. Yeah, it's a Catholic school right down there. They brought a they healing service? yeah healing service. They brought in a priest from New Zealand, I think, and he was talking about. Uh, he got up there and he gave this really brief message. But then, right when he was done, he's like, "Okay, here's the people that we need to pray for today." Like God had given him different disorders that were going to be in the place, and he wanted to pray for them. He's like, somebody with blood in their stool. That's the only one that I remember (laughs) because that stuck out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Hemorrhoids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Right right here. here. (laughs) Yeah, am I reading that right? (laughs) All the hemorrhoids, meet me in the men's room. Exactly. So he, but like most people, when you go to these things, they just kind of like, in a moment, God gives them something, to call it out to come in for prayer. This guy had like written a list on the plane or something because he just read through like 50 and he's like if you have any of these come right up um so that was kind of my first experience which I didn't really see anything happen other than you know he had these words of knowledge to pray for people for these things and uh we just prayed for people even though i didn't necessarily see any healing right on the spot then it might have happened after um but then the second event we went to was even crazier because uh uh, this guy named Mahesh Chabda <laughs> and this guy kind of walk or goes around and speaks at a bunch of places. And he spoke at Hillsdale college. We went there and our job was basically just to catch people, <laughs> which, uh, he would go around, just pray for people, lay his, uh, well, not even all every time and just kind of pray for them. And while he's praying for him. maybe for this popular term in Pentecostal s- circles being, a. Uh, Slain. Slain in the spirit, and he would come around. Old time Methodist. Calls. Hmm. You know a old time Methodist. Calls? Thunderstruck. Falling under the power. Okay, well that too. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, he he was going around and he was praying for people, and they were all just kind of going down. It's my job to catch them, so I come up to my first first girl, and uh, she's a little bit bigger, but I'm fairly confident in myself, and. <laughs> Something was wrong with this girl because I don't know. He, he prayed for her instead of her falling back like everyone else, she just sunk straight. So I never caught her. <laughs> I was like, "All right," and she just, and landed like on my feet, and then she felt bad after that. So I don't even know what happened from there. Either way, <laughs> we go around and just kind of catch people slowly as you pray for them. And he's like, "The spirit in here is thickened. I'm gonna we're gonna do this quicker." And then he didn't even pray for people. He just basically touched them, and each person just went down and. Us catchers are running back and forth trying to keep up with them, set people down, get over there. He's yelling at us, hey, come on, guys, <laughs> keep up. He's like, we don't know what we're doing. We haven't done this before. <laughs> I don't even know this happened. <laughs> so we've got this going on, and you see it enough that it really, you know, you're starting to feel that this is real. It's not like 50 people are just faking this out of nowhere. Um, so after that, I just kind of went to more conferences, learned a lot more, even found myself in a church in this area that uh, really does work in in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm the most charismatic people I've ever met, ever. I mean, worship for hours, they sing in tongues, They you see occasional healings, you hear supernatural testimonies and prophecies all the time, words of knowledge, they're drunk in the Spirit. Uh, it was actually kind of charismatic extremism because it was so focused on experience and the Holy Spirit that it really... A lot of times, miss scripture. Um, Not that they took anything out of context, though on occasion it may have happened. It was just kind of like every week you showed up, nobody had prepared a message. They just kind of made it up on the spot. You realize it's the same message from last week. And you can do this for a few months before you catch on. So I was there for a year altogether, and I learned a lot. Um, But I also learned a lot about balance and learning um, how to, you know, have the... Work with the Holy Spirit in cooperation, rather than ex- just all-out fanaticism. Um, you actually see—I think it's First Corinthians 13 when Paul's talking about uh, uh, balance, kind of in your churches, that uh, you should—you um, all shouldn't just be speaking in tongues the whole time, if no one understands anything. Like, if there—if no one's there to translate the tongues, don't be speaking in it. Things like that. Like, this was one of those, sometimes it felt like the Holy Spirit was at work, just like he is in tongues, but, you know, almost like uh, like you need to balance it out with something more, um, with reason. Uh, which actually, you know, if you've been to Spring Harbor, then you're probably familiar with the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. The, clock Tower. Yes, Clock Tower. If you ever walked under that or slipped under it in the winter. It's called the Wesleyan Clock Tower. Sorry, I guess I'm unfamiliar with that entire semester I took on that. Um, but it's scripture, 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 tradition, reason, experience. Um, and that's basically. It's usually a joke at Spring Arbor just because there's a clock tower made out of it. Nobody understands it unless you've taken like the religion classes or whatever. But kind of like your order of how you should uh, take authority on on uh, understanding God and theology and. Things like that, and experience is on the bottom. And this church, you know, definitely emphasizes that to the top. Whereas a lot of churches, especially from what I'm used to in the Free Methodist Conference, it's kind of like Scripture and then uh, the other things, uh, but experience isn't always there. In fact, when I was in um, when I was younger, what I learned was not to think too much about uh, emotion. Because I finally went to a place where I saw people raising their hands in worship. And this is like 7th, 8th grade for me, which is, you know, you can tell how kind of dead some of the churches I was in was. Because this is the first time I've seen it. Um, And this was just kind of like new to me. And um, I I finally found myself like raising my hands like, I need to try this. Oh, this feels weird. (laughs) This is great. And then uh, just realizing like there is emotion in that. And... Uh, someone around that time started talking about how you need to not focus too much on, like, emotion or be able to tell what's emotional in your worship and what's actually God-moving. Which, you know, can be true to a certain extent, but I focused so much on that, and it was so taught that I actually, even to this day, I still find myself, like, questioning myself. I put my hand in the air. It's like, what am I doing this for? Is this just me being emotional, or is this the Holy Spirit, and to the point that I can't even like praise right half the time because i got to question it too much. Um, That's exactly what's gone on in history is this uh, emotionalism, it was called, or fanaticism, it's also been called, that it's all just coming out of emotion compared to here's the Holy Spirit at work. And so uh, uh, a lot of times when you see this stuff, you do wonder, you do question which way it is going. Um, But, yeah, I, I decided to put this class together because I just wanted to teach on some of these things because in the free Methodist denomination we don't really hit on it a whole lot Um, and sometimes when you finally see it it's been uh, you see it in its extremist phase and you have no idea what's going on and you don't have the will to understand because it's just kind of overblown or you had a bad experience with it and you don't want to experience it again things like that so I want to work from ground up I don't know how much you know about it, how much you've learned about it already, um, but I want to go through some of it and see what, what we can do from like a better standpoint, working from ground zero and uh, up. So, printed off an introduction pamphlet. I know they seem long, because they are... It's really only two articles, and the last one is more for you to take home and read than it is for... Uh... It's, a read for it is. it's up to you if you want to read, but it's if you do. Yes. I also made an hour and a half mp3 out of the second one, so you can just listen to it if you like. Mm-hmm. But it's a robot reading it. But he sounds pretty good for a robot. Alright, uh, this first article, I really want to show you kind of like some of the history, especially in the Methodist tradition, because uh, a lot of people actually don't know that there was anything supernatural in Methodism because of what they've grown up in. Actually, I was talking to Editha Rogers who goes to this church. I, was talking, I talked to her for like an hour last week, and she just talked this whole time about how it was completely different for her generation in the Free Methodist Church, like, you could sing in tongues or talk in tongues, and uh, they'd see accounts of power, and nobody thought it was weird, but throughout, I guess, two generations, for me, growing up, it felt extinct. I had to find it outside of the Free Methodist Church. Um, so I'm just going to kind of read through this first article. Now, this is uh, from John Wesley, the founder of Methodism in the beginning. I want to show you some of the things throughout his uh, his journals that he wrote about, some things that happened, so... It's a little lengthy, but bear with me. Many thought that John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, was in danger of bringing fanaticism into his ministry. Fanaticism, during his lifetime, is basically the equivalent of emotionalism during ours. For example, many people today accuse Pentecostals and Charismatics of being emotionalists. Outsiders think that they work themselves into a frenzy of emotion and lose their minds, while insiders believe that it's the moving of the Spirit. Having spent some time among Pentecostals, I've seen both sides of the spectrum. On one hand, I've seen emotionalism get the best of people, but on the other, I've seen true, authentic moves of the Spirit, which can at times look like emotionalism, but is not. Now, if you come from more of an evangelical background, you might just lump Wesley into emotionalism and fanaticism, just as many did in his time. There are many Methodists today who aren't aware of their roots and would find themselves in opposition of some of the things the Spirit did through Wesley. If you don't believe me, try reading his journals. He opposed fanaticism, but believed the Holy Spirit caused people to act emotionally. Here are a few of his journal entries on some of the emotional moments he saw in people at meetings. And this is right out of his journal. We understood that many were offended at the cries of those on whom the power of God came, among whom was a physician who was much afraid there might be fraud or imposture in the case. Today, One whom he had known for many years was at first, while I was preaching in Newgate, who broke out into strong cries and tears. He could hardly believe his own eyes and ears. He went and and stood close to her and observed every symptom till great drops of sweat ran down her face and all her bones shook. He then knew not what to think, being clearly convinced it was not fraud, nor yet a natural disorder. But when, her, but when both her soul and body were healed in a moment, he acknowledged the finger of God. Wesley even described a similar move of the Spirit that happened in his own life. The love of God was shed abroad in my heart, and the flame kindled there, with pain so violent, yet so very ravishing, that my body was almost torn asunder. I loved. The Spirit cried in my heart. I sweated. I trembled. I fainted. I sung. I joined my voice with those that excel in strength. Those two stories are hardly the weirdest things Wesley saw the Spirit do in his lifetime. Even though he recognized these simple physical expressions, shaking, crying, sweating, fainting, trembling, and singing, to be caused by the Holy Spirit, he had seen in Scripture and in his own life that the Spirit was capable of doing much, much more. One of the popular acts of the Holy Spirit among charismatic meetings today is known as being slain in the Spirit. Those who are familiar with this work recognize it when individuals fall to the ground. Once there, they typically enter into a calm state of bliss or they are sent into convulsions. Many understand this to be the work of the Spirit, while many others claim it to be the work of insanity. But if we look to Wesley to find an answer, we would see that he believed this to be the power of God. In one situation, a Quaker was attending one of Wesley's meetings and was growing angry with the supposed work of the Spirit going on around him. Wesley describes him as biting his lips and knitting his brows when he dropped down as thunderstruck. God personally settled the debate for this Quaker by slaying him. When he finally arose from the ground, he stated, Now I know thou art a prophet of the Lord. This is an obvious change in the mindset for this Quaker, who only moments ago was angry at what he thought to be fraud. God, however, showed him otherwise. This is not the only time something like this has happened in Wesley's life. In a similar situation, Wesley watched some people convulse more violently than he had ever seen. Wesley prayed that God would not suffer those who were weak to be offended, but despite his prayers, one woman was very angry. But then Wesley documents her as having dropped down and as violent an agony as the rest, despite her disposition towards the act. Altogether, at least 26 people endured these violent convulsions during one service on June 15, 1739. Wesley references similar phenomena later on in his life. On April 21st, on the same year, Wesley documented a man trembling violently and then sinking down to the ground. In another situation, three persons almost at once sunk down as dead. And then, on a wider scale, the spirit performed the same type of work on New Year's Day, 1739. It was approximately three in the morning and John and Charles Wesley were in prayer with about 60 other men. Wesley wrote that the power of God came mightily upon us, insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground. On April 26, Wesley felt the Spirit urge him to say something during one of his sermons. Wesley, certain that this was the Spirit, obeyed and as a result saw the power of God come on several individuals. Ostensibly led, without any previous design, to declare strongly and explicitly that God willeth all men to be thus saved, and to pray that if this were not the truth, he would not suffer the blind to go out of the way, but if it were, he would bear witness to his word. Immediately, one, one and another and another sunk to the earth. They dropped on every side as thunderstruck. Stories similar to these are documented all over Wesley's journals, as are other works of the Spirit. But as many stories continued, so did the criticism. Many people did not feel that these supernatural events were of God, and so they rejected them completely. But despite the rejection, John Wesley saw both spiritual and emotional healing come from people's experience with God as they fell to the ground. Many times, they would rise to their feet with a true understanding of God's forgiveness of their sins. Wesley also was privileged to see actual physical healing happen. In one such case of physical healing, a woman by the name of Ann Calcut had been speechless Cold for cut. some time. Calcut Kalkut. Colcut. Whatever. <laughs> That's like the least important word in this whole thing. Come on. <laughs> she had been speechless for some time. Wesley had some others began to pray for this woman, and just about as soon as they had started, her speech returned to her. She was apparently healed of some other problems, too, since Wesley speaks of a fever leaving her, and in a few days she arose and walked, glorifying God. In another story, a middle-aged woman was restored to a sound mind. Many were able to testify that only a few days earlier she was really distracted and, as such, tied down in her bed. But Wesley believed the power of the Spirit to be greater than the pain and sickness of the world, and so he prayed for this woman, regardless of what many saw as a dead end. God heard the prayers of Wesley and others, and he restored the woman to health. Even Wesley himself had experienced physical healing. On May 10, 1741, Wesley had become quite sick. He had pain in his head and as well as his back, a fever and a cough that was so great that he could hardly speak. But then a miracle happened to Wesley as he called on Jesus aloud. As he spoke, his pain disappeared, his fever left, and his strength returned. And on top of that, he felt no weakness or pain for many weeks after but perhaps one of the craziest healing miracles Wesley ever saw was at the deathbed of Mr. Myrick on December 20th, 1742. A doctor had told Wesley that this man was not expected to make it through the night. The word was confirmed when Wesley arrived at Mr. Merrick's side. I went to him, but his pulse was gone. He had been speechless and senseless for some time. A few of us immediately joined in prayer. I relate the naked fact. But we'd done this before we had done. Before we had done, his sense and his speech returned. Wesley was obviously impressed by the finger of God upon the situation, and then wrote in his journal, "Now he that has his account, now he that will account for this by natural causes has my free to leave, but I choose to say this is the power of God." It was a miracle. God had answered prayers and raised the dead, but this was not the end of the story. Five days later, on Christmas, Mr. Merrick was expected again to not make it to the morning and so on december 25th wesley recorded in his journal the continuation of a miracle i went up and found them all crying about him his legs being cold and as it seemed dead already we all kneeled down and called upon god with strong cries and tears he opened his eyes and called for me and from that hour he continued to recover his strength till he was restored to perfect health Another work of the Spirit that many Christians today either caution against or do not believe is that of dreams and visions. But just as Wesley believed in the Spirit's power to heal, slay, or simply to bring a person to tears, so did he believe in the supernatural power of dreams and visions. We are able to read his opinion on this matter in his journal. There he includes a summary of the letters he wrote to an opponent who advised him against believing in such things. What I have to say, touching visions or dreams, is this. I know several persons in whom this great change, being free of sin to do the will of God was wrought in a dream or during a strong representation to the eye of their mind, or Christ either on the cross or in glory. This is a fact. Let any judge it of it as they please. Towards the end of this response, towards the end of his response to his opponent, Wesley grows stronger in his opinion of the existence of the work of the Spirit. God does now, as aforetime, give remission of sins and the gift of His Holy Ghost even to us and to our children. Yea, and that always suddenly, as far as I have known, and often in dreams or in the visions of God, if it be not so, I am found a false witness before God. For these things I do, and by His grace will testify. As we have seen already, the Holy Spirit Himself, known to John Wesley in many ways, but what we have not yet talked about is Wesley's involvement with the Spirit in liberating demoniacs. Christians have read in their Bibles about the Spirit's power to do such a thing, yet many today have not seen anything like it outside of Hollywood's representation. But Wesley saw it in his own life many times. One man. One man. Thank you. <laughs> One man by the name of John Hayden was reported to have been reading a sermon when he changed color, fell off his chair, and began screaming terribly and beating himself against the ground. Wesley arrived at the scene only to be accused by the demon as a deceiver of the people. The demon pretended to be a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in hopes to turn people against Wesley, but Wesley fought back. He and all the others there began to pray. Soon Hayden's pangs ceased and both his body and soul were set at liberty. Sometimes these demonic deliverances did not take long. For example, it only took about 15 minutes to deliver one particular woman from the pangs of death. But other deliverances lasted much longer, such as Wesley's encounter with the young woman from Kingswood. He describes in his journal not only the physical manifestation of these demons, but he also records what the demons spoke to him. I found her on her bed, two or three persons holding her. It was a terrible sight, anguish, horror, and despair, above all description appeared in her pale face the thousand distortions of her body showed how the dogs of hell were gnawing at her heart the shrieks intermixed with were scarce to be endured were scared to be endured but her stony eyes could not weep she screamed out as soon as words could find their way i am damned damned lost forever six days ago you might have helped me but it is past i am the devil's now I have given myself to him, his I am, him I must serve, with him I must go to hell. I will be his, I will serve him, I will go with him to hell. I cannot be saved, I will not be saved, I must, I will, I will be damned. She then began praying to the devil. Wesley and the others with him began to sing a hymn that was popular at the time, which was written by John's brother Charles, Arm of the Lord, Awake, Awake, they sang, which caused the demoniac to immediately sink down. But then the demon manifested again, this time even more intensely. Charles joined John in prayer around 9 o'clock, and together they prayed past 11. Over two hours were spent on this deliverance alone. These are, the, these are only two examples of deliverances that John Wesley took part in, but he documented many others in his journals as well. If we decide to ignore all of the supernatural encounters found in Wesley's life, or even if we choose to write them off as insanity or mere coincidence, we will find ourselves admiring an incomplete and fictional John Wesley The revivalist, so it seems, was quite charismatic in his approach to church because he allowed the Holy Spirit room to work through him, not just in the natural, but the supernatural as well. And if Wesley had not allowed the Holy Spirit to use him in such ways, many would not have been touched by God in the way that they had been. Our history would have been entirely different. So there's kind of a a brief look into Wesley's journals and uh, just how how much actually our entire denomination grew out of this. Because I really had no idea until I had to work on a paper about that. In fact, you kind of just read that paper. Sorry. Uh, But that, that was where I began to realize that even in the Methodist tradition where today I've never really seen a whole lot of it or anything, it actually was exactly what we were birthed out of. I mean, Wesley... I just began to kind of see it as he started doing field preaching. He didn't even uh, totally, uh, I don't think he was really even looking for it. It just kind of came because his heart for God was so great. and uh, He was out there trying to lead people to Christ that uh, God just showed up in these ways. Um, Which, you know, seeing as how at least this church is a free Methodist church, you might wonder if it really came with us. Well, I talked about Editha earlier, how she's, seen in the past. Even that traditional church way back in Three Oaks, uh, when I was there, completely traditional, but uh, apparently before we were there, there was a lot of hooping and hollering coming out, so much so that people would stand at the windows and just laugh at them inside, which I would have never believed, (laughs) because it was definitely not the church that I grew up in. Um, But it actually is very much in the free Methodist tradition. Which the rest is more for you to read. I'm going to read about a page, but uh, this is an entire chapter out of B.T. Roberts' book, who's kind of the father of free Methodism. Um, He put an entire chapter together about uh, feeling. So he's kind of hitting on emotion as well, but he spends this whole chapter talking about the work of the Spirit and how uh, we as free Methodists need to... I'll be eager for it. He addresses a lot Charles Finney throughout it, who is another revivalist who saw these things happen uh, quite a bit. Um, and just really quick, I just want to give you a feel as to what he was saying. So I'm going to start in that last paragraph on the first page right there. Well, page six, technically. And I'm just going to read about a page here. So if you thus, that's where we're at. The reason I'm not going to read much of this is it's very Old Englishy, and I can hardly understand what I'm saying out loud. I need to like spend like five minutes on each paragraph. <laughs> but you guys are probably smarter than that. That's just me. That's why I had my computer read it to me. He's very good with the Old English, apparently. Um, If you thus earnestly serve God from deep-seated principle, he will not leave you... uh, Last paragraph. If you thus. Okay. Try to keep up. (laughs) Who is the teacher now? (laughs) If you thus earnestly serve God from deep-seated principle, he will not leave you long without enjoyment. There will soon be a supernatural element introduced into your religion. It will not be a bare morality... Frigid and sparkling as an iceberg, Jesus says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Just here you will be exposed to danger in the opposite direction. You have complained of the want of feeling. You may now have so much that unless you are careful, you will grieve the Holy Spirit, fall into darkness, and so your last day become worse than the first. God will let you see something of the magnitude of your eternal interests, And as President Edwards says, Eternal things are so great and of such vast concern that there is great observity in men's being but lightly moved by them. Your heart will be stirred to its lowest depths. The world will pronounce it excitement. Formality will decide that you are excited and the devil, seizing an auspicious moment, will whisper to you in the kindest manner, may this not be mere excitement? You reason with him. He's a shrewd logician. Logician. Someone help me out here. Logician? Magician? Logician. Has had the benefit of 6,000 years experience, which he well knows how to use. Overcome by his sophistry... (laughs) Sophistry. You admit that perhaps it was excitement. It is permitted by the prevailing code of fashion for persons to become excited on all subjects except religion without losing caste. The editor of a leading journal in describing the effects produced in the political meaning by singing a politician's song says the audience wrought itself up into a perfect fervor, and as the last words of the concluding stanza died away in a volume of sound, which made the very building shake, the whole assemblage rose to their feet in mass and joined in the burst of cheering again and again renewed amid waving of hats, handkerchief, and frantic demonstrations of delight. This was regarded as entirely proper. Men became frantic in politics without causing alarm or condemnation, but religious excitement is pronounced unbecoming in the highest degree. All unite in applying to it the most opprobrious epitaphs. I don't even know what that is. Ever. Would you like to say it? Go ahead. Uh, no. All right. Vital godliness has thus far had to make its way in the world under the great disadvantage. The apostles were called babblers, fools, and said to be mad, drunk, and besides themselves. Luther was styled a heretic, and Wesley, Whitfield, and their co-agitators, fanatics, and enthusiasts. The same weapon is still successfully wielded by the enemy of righteousness, many whom the Spirit of God is endeavoring to lead into the full liberty of the gospel and into the great field of usefulness, fail of making any considerable progress because they shrink from the cross. They anxiously inquire if it is not possible to follow the Lord fully without such manifestations of emotion as bring upon them the reproach of the world. Some bearing the Christian name, Many standing in Christian pulpits look upon such manifestations with suspicion. They do not appear to be as much afflicted with the indifference and willingness exhibited by many of the professed disciples of Christ as with the overpowering feelings seen at times in a few. Uh, He goes on from there, says a lot of other stuff. Seriously, though, if if you're curious in the history of Free Methodism and the Holy Spirit... You're going to want to read through this just in your own time sometime because it, he really does hit on a lot and talks about all the crazy stuff that even Wesley talked about and makes it clear that uh, much of this is exactly what he desires to see in church. Um, but that's all his own words right there. I can't use those big words, so I didn't write it. Um, if you want to read the whole book, you can download it off Google Books. It is public domain. Um, but today, uh, today's not going to be as long as any of the other sessions will. Uh, today, I just really want you to see the history. There's much, much more. In fact, I just took a class with Ken, and half the entire semester was spent on the history of revivals and and what went on and all these kind of things. And you find a lot of funny statements too. Like, did you say in Florida they actually have like a law against driving drunk in the spirit? Yeah,
2: Pensacola.
0: Pensacola. Because people are getting drunk at church in the spirit, and they get pulled over on the way home, and they get like breathalyzers, and nothing's wrong with them. So they had to make a law against driving drunk in the spirit. There's all these kind of rules. You can see it in our legislation now, uh, but there's there's definitely there's there's a lot. It's all throughout history. You even see it in the Bible in some senses, like uh, when the spirit comes into the temple that. Solomon's built uh, uh, like, the priests fall to their knees or something like that. Like, they, they can't stand, it says, same way, being, like, slain in the Spirit. Um, so we're going to go through a lot of different uh, forms of how the Spirit works, and we'll look at them more in depth each. But today I just really wanted to look into at least the history. If you want to learn more, there's seriously, there's tons of books about history of this stuff going on. It happens in every revival. You can't really have a revival without the Holy Spirit showing up and doing stuff. Um, But, uh, yeah, there's tons of books on it. So, I don't know. Does anybody have either questions or just maybe stories from your own upbringing that this is... How many of you are familiar with any of this? All of you? Some of you? (laughs) You don't have to raise your hand. It's okay. okay. What, what have you guys kind of seen?
1: I grew up in a regular evangelical church that um, didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. Basically, their stance on the Holy Spirit was he does a lot of great stuff, but he, he directs all attention to God, the Father, or mm-hmm. Jesus. He doesn't want to be talked about, or, and it's just kind of hush-hush. Yep. He doesn't want any attention, so we shouldn't give him any. He's like a janitor. (laughs) (laughs) So, but we had guest speakers that would come, like, when we had time transition and stuff, there were some really cool pastors, or professors from Biola University, Mm -hmm. and, um... You were in Southern California? Yeah. So, like, Walt Russell was a pretty cool guy. He wrote, um few books, one of them was, like, how, how scripture ignites change in your soul, is one of them, um, but he, he would talk about the spirit world and stuff like it was real, mm. and that was, that was after I was out of college, I mean, at, like, college age, but it was funny, because in that church, that was just, like, <laughs> to, to have a pastor get up there and not try to explain away, um... Yeah. Oh, so these are psychological illnesses. Yeah. Um, Sometimes yeah. even
0: your Bible footnotes do that. <laughs>
1: yeah. and But I, w- I was with Operation Mobilization Ships, and with, with 350 people from all around the world, all different walks of faith, like Christian faith. Mm-hmm. and. Were shoulders of Anglicans and Charismatics and just seeing that like they're testifying about having been healed or how they ended up on a ship, for example, was like so they were at a meeting and somebody had a word for them oh. And the word was Dulos, which was the name of the ship. Or the word was or and then another meeting that was completely separate, somebody like God told me they tell you that you're gonna go on a ship. and so these are things that were completely unheard of yeah. in my church where you don't have a word. That's people finding an excuse to... <laughs> yeah. ...throw you mm-hmm. under the bus. Um, and ministering all around, like, in Asia and Africa, all sorts of different churches. Mm-hmm. Some places where there's speaking in tongues... And some places where they did it, even did it biblically where there was an interpreter, Mm. which was just like, and it it was amazing the variety of churches. There were churches that was like stadium seating with um, big orange microphone, and they were, I mean, they were all about the charismatic side of things. So like when they'd sing, like every knee will bow, and all the worship leading and stuff, and kind (laughs) of, um, but they were dead. Yeah. I mean, we got up there and shared that God can use anybody, and the message was like, you guys are so special, that you, I mean, you're so brave to get up here and do this, and you guys are really special. Not not everybody can do this kind of thing. I mean, the whole message he tore up hmm. straight from the gate, like, like, he didn't even hear what the message was. and and then the same Sunday I went to another church which was this little church that met at a community center movie moved the chairs and deal and that was the one that had interpretation to speak in tongues hmm. and then we had fellowship and then we talked about spiritual things afterwards the other one was rushed and and it was a big program and everybody was doing their little bow when they were the <laughs> bow but then we went to the other church and it was like people they were just I mean, you could tell the difference. One was a huge amphitheater church, and the other one was a little town hall-type meeting, and mm-hmm. they were genuine, and we sat down and had fellowship together and connected with them in, on a different level, and, cool. and it's that way, like, we, I've, I've been a catcher, mm-hmm. and I've been a pusher-over. Um, I've been blessed by being woken up at four in the morning by loud singing tongues when I was staying at the (laughs) of Church.
0: Oh, that's Um, a blessing! (laughs) Oh, that's a blessing! Yeah. So
1: I, I believe. I mean, I've seen God work personally in Mm. my life and in other people's lives, and I think that a lot of churches miss out on it because Mm. they're not told to even seek the Holy Spirit or seek. Or the Holy Spirit does change you, like when you say, like ask specific prayers or specific things that God can
0: yeah. it <laughs> good.
1: Change, uh, change you physiologically, change you mentally, change you, give you victory in a specific area. Mm. But because you're just not, we're not talking that the Holy Spirit. I mean, He just does a bunch of nice stuff in the background, and yeah. Not
0: to expect, don't expect too much yeah it's kind of like the least mentioned of mm-hmm. the trinity for most of my life I yeah. so, almost said the trilogy <laughs> what about you did you say you've seen kind of
2: that so the Holy Spirit was really talked about a lot, like, hmm. in depth. It was kind of, kind of like what they were saying. You was, I just to recall that. <laughs> no, me, that <laughs> I mean, did not From Oh, okay. okay. I, I went to Spring I just don't remember. Okay. I don't. And it could be that I wasn't paying attention. It could be that it wasn't talked about. But um, I don't remember a lot of emphasis put on what the Holy Spirit can do my experience is more from experience itself, that you just know that the Holy Spirit is real and it, it can be very powerful just from different experiences I've had. Hmm. And mostly when I was a teen, I think as I've gotten older and I I think more. I students when say this. I think more logically on <laughs> Um, that I, I don't see it as much I don't recognize it as much um, <clears throat> and i and I like to recognize it more again because mm. I know it's there That's
0: good any others? Mm. Christy
3: uh, I did a pre Methodist too my dad usually was a pastor at whatever church here. so um, he about five years ago, he got in a car accident, and nine of, of his ribs were broken, and he it was after that he had to do another surgery, and, right, and his kidneys failed, and for two weeks they weren't working. He had to go on dialysis for like one week. At the end of the second week, his doctor was like, "Wherever you want to go, I'll take you for a day, because you because I know," he said that. And somebody my dad was like, "I want to go to church." He came to church, and my whole church prayed for him, and he was healed. And then since then, he has, God has changed him completely from just that feeling, that, that normal of going through church stages to just seeking his, his, his presence, seeking like the Holy Spirit. Too. And since then, my whole family has been more open to the kingdom, more open to seeing God actually move and not just say he moves or don't talk about like what the Spirit does to do you in the church. So that was before I came to school, and while I've been here in America, just been growing more. Just seeing, um, going to conferences like Jenny, and seeing God just touch people, heal them, and change their lives, and just being a part of that too. Not being so much afraid of it anymore because it's different and I don't understand it, but just embracing that God does work for our emotions. And um, I think He too is an emotional being, and that He wants us to. Connect with him at that level, and not just believe it, but also
0: feel his presence. So, yeah. Um. All right. Well, then, whether you have history in it or whether you don't, uh, if you keep coming, hopefully we'll all kind of learn together from ground zero, and, or quickly. I don't know. Um. But I'm I'm excited for this. This is part of the reason I feel called to be a pastor, and I always knew, since it wasn't in my past in the Free Methodist Church, I always thought when I had to do it, that I would have to do it kind of like this for a class for those who were interested, Um, just so I could get those who really wanted to know kind of come. I mean, I still preach on it. If you've been here some days, it still comes out of me, but I wanted the... Yeah. I wanted the people who really wanted to learn to be able to have a place where we could kind of do that um, outside of Sunday. And a lot of this, I mean, you actually got to kind of practice or you got to just kind of pray for one another and stuff like that. So I'm passionate about it. And when you look throughout history, you see it happen, but you also see that a lot of people lose their jobs over it. Um, but I am willing to put my job on the line to be able to teach this willing to be labeled an enthusiast or a fanaticist. And I'm willing to um, take whatever opposition comes your way. Because when you get into this stuff, you're going to find opposition. Well, next week, actually, we'll probably talk about dreams because that's what I know best. And there's kind of three forms you got. Uh, they day dreaming? Yeah. We have got dreams from God, natural dreams, and demonic dreams, and this is what I'm most familiar with. So I figure it's a good place to start. So do all
2: dreams fall into these three
1: categories? Well, you're
0: a you're more psychological, so I'm sure you have more within the natural. But (laughs) these are the three. I still don't figure out
2: my dreams. I wake up and go, where did that come from?
1: It was the lasagna that you had when Good.
0: you wanna close us out since you're standing up.
1: Close us out All right, Hallelujah. with prayer? Yes. Prayer. With it. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we do thank you. Um, that you've given
0: us your word, your spirit, and uh, that you wanna come to be a part of our life pray that you'd help us to open our hearts and minds to all that you want to give to us. And uh, pray that your Holy Spirit would come and fill us uh, with joy, with peace. God, with uh, a zeal to, to follow after your heart. And uh, to love you, to serve others, and to uh, become more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Well, we'll do this again next week. And uh, thanks for coming.
1: You're welcome. Yes, you, sir. So I'm
0: Dude.